Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Author and sustainer of our life, we pray that as we open your word together this morning that... uh, we will be formed more into the image of Christ uh, through the things that we read and talk about this morning. May you grow us as your church. Uh, And we just thank you for the grace that you have bestowed upon us this morning. Pray this in your name. Amen. Okay. Uh, Good morning. Uh, we, We have finished our series on 1 Peter and uh as you know, as Kevin said, Pastor Jim is out of town. Uh, last week we had our missions conference. The week before that, uh, we had our Puerto Rico presentation. In two weeks, we're having our 50th anniversary. Next week, we're going to have Caleb Beefus here. Many of you remember Caleb. He interned with us a couple years ago. Uh, he's going to be. So we don't really have a series that we're going through right now. We're kind of a little bit scattered, and I hope that's okay for you. Sometimes it's good to have something a little bit, you know, mix it up a little bit. So. Uh, That being said, uh, this isn't part of a series. This is actually, uh, what we're going to talk about this morning is actually something that we've talked about before, and I'm really hot. I don't know if I'm coming out of the monitors or what, but it feels very loud to me. So um, something that we've talked about before um, many times, and, and so for some of you, this might be review. Some of you have been, just started coming within the last couple years, and so this might be new to you. Uh, but this is, it's important sometimes to come back and, and to revisit things that, well, maybe we all know that already, but uh, it doesn't necessarily play out in our practice and in our language and our conversation. Sometimes it's just good to be reminded of things from time to time that we know to be true. And so this is what we're going to do this morning. We're going we're to come back and we're going to take a look at something. Um, so I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we'll start there. And as you do so, um, I just want to let you know that uh, I'm aware of the clock, and I'm aware that some of you do want to get home to catch the last part of the the football game, and I also am aware that I'm feeling a little sick this morning, so hopefully all of those factors will play together that we won't be up here forever. Um, But 1 Corinthians chapter... One. Oh, by the way, I should also say, before we, sorry, I'm all these little tangents here. I was just in Michigan, and I saw a number of our, uh, our church's college students there, um, Jenny and Holly Haney, Nikki Gray, um, Nick Brown, who's from the Grants Pass Church, but has a lot of connections to our church here, and, um, and they all say hi, they send you their love, they miss you, and are looking forward to seeing you, especially... Uh, around December, in, getting away from Michigan to come where it's a little bit warmer here. So they all send their greetings, and uh, yeah, just wanted to let you know, and thank you for the prayers that you're sending their way as well. First uh, Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Paul begins many of his letters this way. If you want to turn to Galatians chapter 1, we'll take a look at another of them. Uh, He begins, Paul, an apostle, kind of identifies himself. This was a common practice in in the Roman and Greek world. that This is how you begin a letter. Um, And so he does it again here in Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, sent not with a human commission, nor by a human authority, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Uh, Paul uses a word that we see in both of these passages, and if we could look at the beginning of others of Paul's letters, we would see this word again uh, many times. He's addressing, he writes these letters, and he's specifically addressing the church in Corinth. And he writes Galatians, and he's specifically addressing the churches that are in Galatia. And the word that Paul uses when he uses this word uh, church, the, the Greek word here is the word ekklesia. This is where, uh, if you're familiar with Spanish, the, the word for church is iglesia. That's where the, the, it comes from, this idea. Um, and, and so he uses this word church, and we, or ecclesia, and we translate that as church. And I want to show you one more example of where this word shows up. So flip back to Acts chapter 19. We're going to take a look at one more place where we see this word ecclesia. Um, Acts chapter 19, Um, we won't read this whole section, uh, but for a little context, Paul has been ministering in Ephesus, and he's been there for quite a while, and and as he's been been ministering, one of the things that begins to happen is people, he's, he's been preaching about Christ, and people are coming to know Christ, and this becomes a problem for the people who uh, make their living in Ephesus creating idols for people to buy and people, for people to worship because these idol makers are no longer having the same amount of business that they once had because people aren't buying idols anymore because they're not worshiping them anymore. They're worshiping Christ. And so this becomes a problem and, and one, of the, one of the idol makers gets his, gets his uh, union together or his friends together and they say this shouldn't be and they stir up this, this crowd and they, and they uh, sort of create this, this chaos for Paul. And so we'll just uh, pick up in verse 28 of Acts chapter 19. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Uh, this is one of the goddesses in, in Ephesus. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. And all of them rushed together into the theater. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging them not to venture into the theater. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. This is great, right? Uh, The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front and they shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. 
Isn't this, uh, this is just a fascinating picture. Like, I mean, uh, and this theater, I've seen a picture of this theater. It's, it's a pretty big theater. It probably could have held uh, between fifteen to 20,000 people in it. And it says they're packed in there, and for two hours they're shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. That's like the length of a soccer game. Uh, you think about, like, yeah, it's just, that's, some, Sounders got to work on that one. Um, two hours straight. Uh, so this is the cast. And did you see our word in there? Did you catch it? Some of you know where I'm going, and so you saw it. Um, here's our word. Verse 32. Uh, the ecclesia, the assembly, was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Uh, this is the word. This word assembly here is the Greek word ecclesia. And so for, for uh, other places in Scripture, most of the places in the New Testament, when we see this word ecclesia, it gets translated church. But the actual meaning of the word, and we see this is, clear, this is pretty clearly not a church going on here. Um, they're, they're rioting, it's a mob. Uh, but the, the word itself actually means assembly. Um, it, actually, it actually literally means uh, the word ek, the first part of the word is ek, um, out of, and klesia is where we get kaleo, it comes from the idea of called. So it literally means a called out group or an assembly. People that, people that have been called out for a specific purpose. So in Ephesus here, the, the people who have been called out have been called out to protest what Paul is preaching about and to protest. And so we see this word, and oftentimes when we read Scripture, we, we come across this word church. We instantly think, well, I know what that means because I, I know what a church is today. Um, but, but what's important for us to recognize here and what's important for us to, to think about is that for Paul, when he writes to the church in Corinth or when he writes to the churches in Galatia, he's not writing to specific people who, and, and what makes them a church is because they meet in a specific building called a church. What makes them the church is that they are the assembly who is the church. That to, to be a church is not a building, but it's the people. Uh, and this is, this is important for us to recognize and important for us to, to call ourselves back to because oftentimes uh, we use this kind of language, don't we? We say, well, I'm going to go to church. And I use this all the time. When we talk to Sam, he says, he, he knows that I work at church. And he says, we're going we're to go to church now? Um, and the reality is that, no, that's not true. We go to the building where the church meets. And I work in the building where the church meets, but I don't work in the church because, because we are the church. This, this body, this group of people is the assembly, the people who assemble in this place. We are the church. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to just look at a couple more passages this morning. So we begin to understand what exactly, what are some of the implications for this. Because I think for some of us, um, some of us, like I said before, we've, we've talked about this before, and, and so some of us, we know this, and, and we could, if someone were to ask us, what is the church, we would say, well, it's not a, the building, it's the people. But oftentimes the language we use and the way that we often think about it is, it's actually the building. 
And so I just want us to, to take a look at a couple of things of, of some of the implications for, for this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse, let's start in verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. One of the, language, one of the, the images that Paul often uses to describe this assembly, this ecclesia, this church, is the idea of a body, the body of Christ. That Christ is the head and that each of us as members, each of us as part of this assembly, is a member of that body of Christ. We'll take a look at another passage in a little bit where he goes into detail about some, maybe some of the eye and some of the ear. And I don't know, I don't think he's specifically saying, like, you're, you have, like, the vision for the church and so you're the eye. I think he's just using this picture that we all have different roles to play. Uh, but here, he, he does, he specifically draws out that there are some that Christ gave for very specific roles. Uh, some apostles, some prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Uh, and oftentimes, we, we take a look at those roles, and these are very upfront roles. Specifically, we, we talk about today the, the pastor and the teacher. And we, sometimes, when we think about the church, we think about a building. Sometimes, when we think about the church, we think about the people who are up front the pastors and the teachers, the people who we see and we come and we, and we listen to or we, uh, that talk at us for a while and maybe we listen to, maybe we check our, the Seahawks score or think about lunch or whatever. But we think about those people uh, when we think about what the church is. We think about the people who have been specifically placed in positions of leadership when we think about the church. And this is okay because these people are the ones who show up and work in the church building for most of the week. And so there's, there's some reason for that. And even in a couple of weeks when we celebrate our 50th anniversary, the people that will be having do a lot of the speaking for that are the people who used to be uh, leaders and teachers and, and pastors in our church. And I think that's okay. But I think we also miss, again, a large aspect of what the church is when we limit our conception of the church to those specific people. And I'm obviously talking about myself right now as well, um, that I often do this, and we often think about, do this in our language unintentionally. So as he says, Christ gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. But look at what he says the role of these people is. To equip his people for works of service. That there are, some, there are some who have specific roles, um, and we often say that those people are the ones who are called into ministry. 
And maybe, maybe I don't know, high schoolers or, or as you, like, well, I haven't really felt called to ministry. Or I don't really feel like that. And, but the reality is, according to Paul here, that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are a member of the body, then guess what? You're called to ministry. All of us are called to ministry. He says that he, he gave some as pastors and teachers to equip, to prepare his people for works of service. That, that the service is, is for all of us to be equipped, to be built into. And so if you are thinking, well, I'm not really called to ministry, guess what? If you're a Christian, sorry, you are. Um, in some way or another, you are called to participate in the ministry of Christ, of the body, of the assembly. Um, and that it's, that as I think about myself and, and I try to think about my own role as I'm called to ministry, I was meeting with some people who are, some guys back at GBC who are thinking about going into church, church work and, and full-time ministry in that way. And it's like, to understand that, that my calling is not just to be the minister and to let you come and listen to me, but to equip you to work um, is a challenge that I have to put on myself again and again and again. And here's, here's the reason for the ministry. He, he says that uh, some, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So Paul is saying here is that the means, the means by which the body is built up, the means by which the body is strengthened, is actually through our ministry and through our service. The way that we grow in our faith and in our unity and in our knowledge of the Son of God is actually when we come together and not just sit and listen, but when we actually participate in the work of God together. This is how we grow. This is how we reach maturity in Christ. It's not just filling our heads with a bunch of information so that, we, so that we know what's true, but it's then beginning to act on it together as a body. This, this is actually how we grow, and this is what it means to be mature as Christians. And sometimes we think about uh, mature Christianity as the person who knows the most about the Bible, who can, who can recite the most facts about God, or who can, who can give you the, the most list of verses about what the Bible says and, and explain this and that. And we say, well, I, can't really, I definitely am not that person. And so I must not be a very mature Christian. But what Paul actually says is that maturity happens when we, as a body, are working and serving together. That's when we actually put our knowledge into practice that we actually reveal our maturity. And so we may not know all of the facts, but what we do know, we're doing something with it. And we're practicing, and we're speaking the truth and love to one another. And we're working alongside, and we're forgiving each other, and we're, we're working in, towards a unity as a body. And this, he says, this is what a mature church looks like. He says, the whole body 
is held together um, through Christ. And so jump down to verse 16 again. We'll read this. Uh, Actually, verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. Again, we grow up into Christ, into our maturity in Christ, through our speaking the truth to love to one another, in love to one another. Through the way that we interact with, with one another, that's how we become more like Christ, not just by what we know. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And he says that, that the whole body is held together by every tiny supporting ligament, every tendon, um, every muscle, every little insignificant part. How many of you have ever torn uh, your like Achilles heel or your ACL or something like that? Um, a few of you. Or, you know, you, you strain a muscle, you, maybe you pull your hamstring. How many times during a week do you normally think about your ACL? Probably not very much. When you tear your ACL, how many times in a week do you think about it? All the time, right? When you, when you, when you pulled your hamstring, you, I mean, when you stub your toe, how often are you thinking about your toes during the week, but you stub it and you're thinking about it a lot? And you might not be thinking very nice things about your toe at the time. Uh, and the, this, this is the, the picture that Paul wants us to have, that every supporting ligament matters. And we begin to realize that our ACL matters when something is wrong with it, when we've hurt it. Uh, but the reality is, it matters all the time. And we just notice it when it's gone. And Paul is trying to say that in the body of Christ, every tiny joint, every ligament, every single part that may feel very small and insignificant, it matters. And if there's something wrong with it, there's something wrong with the entire body. There's something wrong with the whole. Um, let's take a look at one more passage where, we, where Paul um, clarifies this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll start in verse, we'll read verse 12, and then we'll jump over to verses 21 through 26. So Paul says, again, uses this image, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Now jump to verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. And notice this, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And Paul says that we have been created as a body of Christ, that we've been drawn together in this body, and that every supporting ligament, every part, even the parts that seem insignificant, matter. And if one part suffers, the rest of the body suffers with it. 
if one part uh, rejoices or is honored, every part rejoices with it. And again, you think about this, when you, when you injure a part of your body, uh, you often begin to feel that everywhere else. If you, if you have to stay off of a foot for a month, the rest of your muscles begin to feel that activity of not being able to use that foot. Uh, Paul says that, that every part in the body is connected. If one part suffers, if one part of us as a body is suffering, is hurting, it should impact and affect the rest of the body. And this is why, this is why we spend time and we give you each week the prayer requests for people in our church. And, we, and I hope that you spend time praying for those people, looking over those things. Because when one part suffers, we should all suffer with it. And we put praise and thanksgiving in the bulletin because when one part is honored, we all want to rejoice with it. So let's talk about what this means, um, specifically as we think about, uh, as we're coming to this, this sun, couple Sundays from now when we celebrate our 50th anniversary. Um, I want to I ask you to participate with me now. So if you were here um, 50 years ago, and maybe not the, the opening Sunday or whatever, but within that 50 years ago, if you were here, will you stand up? Right. Um, maybe you don't want to answer this, but I'll ask it anyway, and you can refuse to answer. Marilee, how old were you when you were here 50 years ago? Six-ish? Okay. Um, that's great. We'll come back to that in a second. Um, if you were here 40 years ago, will you stand up? And if you can't stand for that long, you can sit down and raise your hand or whatever. But if you were here 30 years ago, will you stand up? Good. If you were here 20 years ago, will you stand up? All right. If you were here 10 years ago, stand up. Uh, if you were here five years ago, will you stand up? If you were here a year ago, will you stand up? Uh, if you are here today, will you stand up? <laughs> Excellent. Good. I think we have everybody. Good. Um, now, I want you to t stay standing for just a little bit. I want you to take a look around you. Take a look at our building. Take a look at the things, the world spinning. Um, and I want, as, as you're standing, I want you to recognize uh, that this is not the church. These things that you're looking at around you are not the church. This, this could all burn down tonight or tomorrow, and Berean Bible Church would still be here. Now, I want you to take a look at the people around you. Feel free to look into the back if you need to stand up. Make sure you see as many people as you can in this room right now. This is the church. You are Berean Bible Church. Um, go ahead and sit down. You, um, whether you've been here for 50 years, whether you've been here for 20 years, 
whether you, this is your first Sunday, you, you have made Berean Bible Church what it is today because of your presence here. Uh, if you were not here today, even if this is your first Sunday here, if you were not here today, this church would be different because you're not in. We'd have two less people or one less person or however many less people in this room right now. Um, and you, you may uh, have been pouring and investing into this church since the very beginning, and you may just be saying, I, I just came because I've driven by here a couple of times and I thought I would check it out. Um, you may still be wondering, what is this Christianity thing about? But you today are making Berean Bible Church what it is. And you may be wrestling with that, but, but you are still a part of what's happening here today. Uh, Jesus tells a parable about um, a man who goes out and hires workers. And he goes out and he hires a bunch of workers, and he says, here's what I'm going to pay you today. I'm going to pay you a denarius. Come and work for me. He goes out a few hours later and brings in a few more, and he says... Um, here, I'll, I'll pay you what's fair. He goes out a few hours later, brings in a few more, and says, I'll pay you what is fair for the day. Um, finally, goes, it goes, it goes. Finally, there's an hour left in the workday, and he still goes out, and he finds whoever is just sort of hanging around, not doing anything. He says, come and work, and I'll pay you what's fair. And as the day is over, and, and the, the workers come in to receive their pay, he begins with the ones who were hired last, and he gives them a denarius. And so he, he goes backwards through all the people who have been hired the day, and he, he gives them all the same pay. And the ones who are hired at the beginning of the day that have done all the work are thinking, okay, we're going to get more because he gave these guys that only worked uh, an hour the same thing that he said he was going to, so he's probably going to up our wages. But he pays them the same. And Jesus tells this parable to, to, to illustrate this, the fact that, that in God's sight, it doesn't matter if you begin to, to put your faith in God and trust in God uh, at the very beginning and have done all of the work, or if you do it at the very last moment, that God's gifts to you are the same. And I want us to recognize, which is sometimes something that we fail to do, that, that if you are here today, if you are part of Berean Bible Church, you are just as much a part of Berean Bible Church if you're here uh, and signing up for the first time or if you've been here for 50 years. And that's not to say, of course, that we are not incredibly grateful for those of you that have been here for so long and all of the work that has gone in to helping Berean Bible Church be what it is today. Because we, we are... Um, but Marilee was here start when she was about six when the church started. Uh, across the hall, we have six-year-olds who are singing and learning. And 50 years from now, they will be Berean Bible Church. 50 years from now, most of us are going to be gone. But Berean Bible Church, the community, the assembly whether we're meeting here in Shoreline, whether we're, who knows where the Lord has us. If the Lord does not come before then, bringing Bible Church is going to be those kids 
and, and you guys, our high schoolers, the people who are still here, Berean Bible Church, a uh, hundred years from now, all of us, I think, uh, even with advances in technology, all of us will be gone. But if the Lord doesn't come before then, uh, Berean Bible Church will hopefully still be here because Berean Bible Church isn't just you here today. It's also the people who were here 10 years ago and aren't now. And it's the people who will come next week for the very first time. They will be part of Berean Bible Church. Because the church is not the building, and the church is the assembly, and the assembly grows and moves and changes, and every supporting ligament, even the smallest parts, matters as a body. Even the parts that feel insignificant and feel like they don't necessarily have a place, they matter to who we are as a church. And so as we think about uh, missions, we've been talking about missions the last couple weeks. The work that Berean Bible Church will do around the world um, and is doing around the world through our support of missions will carry on for, for years to come. And we are called to be a part of that ministry. Um, we are called to be a part of that service. And maybe, maybe it's, it's just uh, pr- choosing to pray for one another. That's how we serve in the body. Maybe it's choosing to find one individual and say, let's have, let's have a Bible study together. Let's, let's grow and talk about uh, what it means to follow Jesus together. Maybe it's taking a college student aside and saying, can I, I remember what it was like when I was your age, and can I walk you through what it was like for me, and can we do this together, and can I help you, can I support you? Maybe it's taking someone, in, a, a parent or parents aside and say, I remember what it was like to have kids that age. How can I support you? Maybe it's coming on Wednesday nights and helping out in Awana. Maybe it's singing in the choir. Maybe it's, uh, again, just choosing to follow up with one person. There's all kinds of ways that we can serve one another. And as we serve one another, we point each other to Christ. And this is the way that Berean Bible Church matures. Serving one another, caring for one another, growing together in our unity. Uh, we, we're celebrating 50 years and the work that God has done through our church 50 years ago up until now. But the reality is, uh, in the grand scheme, I mean, 50 years feels like a long time, doesn't it? Um, the reality is, um, if the Lord doesn't come, we're just getting started. Things are just getting going. I mean, you th- we, we have a very uh, shortened sense of time, especially here in, on the nor- in the Northwest, on the West Coast, where thing- I mean, think about how, what things were like 50 years ago. Think about what things were like 100 years ago. People were just settling here 150 years ago. Um, and yet, there's a very, I mean, if the Lord doesn't come, there's a very real chance that this area is going to continue to grow and bring Bible churches here in Shoreline, spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. On this corner, in this neighborhood, 
in this city, in this state, in this country, in this world. We have been called to point people back to Christ, to point people back to the work of the gospel. And we are all a part of that. You are a part of that. And so my encouragement for you today and my challenge for you today is to to see yourself. You are the church. We are the church. We are all called to be ministers of the gospel. It's not just for a few, it's for all of us. We're all in this together. And to think about those four-year-olds and six-year-olds and and eight-year-olds and ten-year-olds and twelve-year-olds and all of these children who are growing up and, and how are we handing things to them to say, okay, you too are the church. You too matter here. And we want to be a part of this work together for the praise of his glory. Pointing people not to ourselves as a church and look how great we are but look how great he is look what he has done in us look what he has enabled us to do through his work on the cross look how he has brought these people who are so different from one another and brought them to unity and look how he is the work that he has continued to do through these people for years and years let's pray God, we first and foremost thank you for the work of Christ that has saved us this morning, that has brought us to this place as a church. It is because of you that we can gather and we worship and we celebrate and we proclaim the forgiveness that we have in you alone. And we pray that you will unify us as a church, that you will continue to use us as your servants here in this neighborhood, in our homes, in our communities, in our schools. May we do your work. May we be about your work of the gospel wherever we go. pray this in your name. Amen. Um, one of the great things about the church not being a building, but being all of us, is that the church still is the church when we walk outside of these doors. And that wherever we go this week, we are ambassadors for Christ. That we proclaim the gospel in our workplaces, in our schools, in our homes, at the store. Wherever you are, Bringing Bible Church is there because you are bringing Bible church. And so may you proclaim his grace wherever you go this week. And as we, as we close Paul's prayer from Ephesians for this church in Ephesus and our prayer for us today. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.